0: He's gonna, gonna get, get you. you! He's gonna get you! He's gonna, He's gonna, gonna get, get you! you. Boogeyman is coming! Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure, and as always be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. Today kicks off Until Death Do Us Part month here at Daily Horror Habit, in which each week a guest and I will be discussing a romantic horror film, yes, horror films can be romantic, Uh, and where better to begin than with Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella's 2019 Romantic Creature Feature, After Midnight in which Hank wakes up one morning and his partner of 10 years, Abby, is gone with only a note that says she'll be away for a while. Though Hank's emotional turmoil is quickly replaced by a physical one, as Abby's disappearance coincides with a monster's nightly siege against his home, a monster that no one else has seen. And joining me this week to chat about the untamable beasts that is love is returning friend of the show, Micah. Welcome back to the show, man.
1: Thanks, Jay. Hey, it's great to great to be back and talk about romantic horror movie.
0: Well, you know, last time we talked about another film that Jeremy Gardner was in, and this seemed like the next best place to go with that. Because if anything, you know, I hadn't seen the last film that uh, you had brought to me, which was Fingers. And After Midnight, I was familiar with. This was a film that I had seen when it came out and was really looking forward to seeing it initially. You know, there was a circuit buzz about it and all of these things. And then when I actually watched the movie... It was very different than what I was expecting, but it ended up being a really welcome surprise and a film that I think shows, you know, you can't really put horror in this box because it does a go along an unconventional means to tell a love story. Um, and it's a really wonderful blending, I think, of subgenres and whatnot. But I think that the only place we can really start is, you know, what do you think is an inherent strength of the horror genre that makes it compelling to tell a love story such as this?
1: you know it's that's an interesting question i i mean i guess what draws people together um, often is stress and i think that in general that's you know like that's when you find out who your true friends are right when someone's trying to kill you um (laughs) but also that's that can make you realize what's really important in life and i think there's a lot of you know people In dire situations turning to um you know turning to love and who they whom they love um, or reevaluating whom they love um so i i guess that's what i would say in response to that i i think that i think that horror can be a good medium to to explore lots of different emotions right especially the primal ones and fear and love are the two most primal i think so um And it's uh, it it keeps things I don't know keeps things interesting to explore those emotions. I'd rather watch you know a horror movie with love than um, I don't know Pride and Prejudice or something. But that's just me personally.
0: Yeah, that, that definitely tracks with me as well. And, you know, it also happens to be the only genre that you can have a monster and have it be a fitting parallel to, you know, what emotional turmoil someone is uh, more than likely feeling inside that's dealing with the same predicament that uh, that Hank is dealing with. But, yeah, so I guess just in talking about it as a maybe traditional romance that is at the core of this movie and we'll talk about the more obviously uh, monstrous element of it later um i guess for you like what is it about the portrayal of a romance or you know a love story that really resonates with you know you or just you know in general with it being something that maybe feels a little more realistic than we're used to in uh in some horror movies you mean this movie specifically or just in general this movie specifically, like the portrayal of these two people and, you know, their struggles in their relationship.
1: Yeah, no, I I did. I definitely kind of related to this. Um, I Just everything about the the film really felt like it was coming from a real place. And I know um, Jeremy Gardner, I mean, he, he'd been making this film for a long time. Like he wrote it a long time before he started acting and stuff. And I know for him, it came... He came out of a broken relationship. Um, that was the genesis of this film for him, and I really felt that. And I mean, I've I've, I've been with my my spouse for a very long time, but we certainly had our ups and downs. And I really related to um, just a, a lot of the the dialogue, and even more than the dialogue, just kind of the the tone and sense that these characters bring of, you know, sometimes you have to reevaluate when you've been in a relationship with someone for a really long time. Sometimes you have to pause and be like, wait, are we still on the same track here? Um, And if not, do we want to be on the same track here anymore? And, you know, sometimes those moments happen in, they happen in lots of films, including horror films, but sometimes it's just like, you know, it happens in the hallway as you're running away from the killer. And here it was really great to see a movie where you know they they took the time to kind of slow down and and like no let's make a whole film about that right about that decision that moment that that turning point in a relationship that happens sometimes um and it can go either way and i like that they keep you guessing until the very end of the film like well how is it going to turn out with these two um so that's what really drew me into this film more than others and, and what made it for me stand out a lot more than some of the other just kind of shutter stuff you scroll through um that it really had a a unique story to tell and um you know it was it's truly it's a it's a romantic personal drama that happens to have a horror element um and and it was they didn't shortcut you know the element the romance element but really leaned into it as you said, like a lot of sometimes horror movies, they claim to be about that, but really it's just kind of an afterthought. And this was the opposite, right? It's like, no, I want to make a film about this this moment that I went through and how that turned out. And I want to tell that story with with a flair.
0: <laughs> well, I think that that's why this movie was such a nice surprise. Because as you said, you know, a lot of times when you go into a horror movie like this and I described it as being part creature feature because that's how it was you know, pitched to me initially when I had heard about the premise. But it was really refreshing to sit down and watch a movie that it was the reverse, as you said. It was not so much that the horror element was the main focus of the film, but it's more about these two people. And it's not as if, you know, Oh, this is a one night stand. We're going to see, you know, where this flourishes or the ups and downs of the, you know, the first life of a relationship or will this even become a relationship, right? It's about people that are at a interesting point in their life where they're both in there about mid 30s. They've been together for 10 years. And yeah, you know, it helps that I've revisited this movie now while I was a little bit older and just viewing this period of life like I turned 30 this year and just stopping and thinking about your life, where it's headed where you've come from, and then thinking about like how much of me has changed in the interim of whether or not, you know, whenever you've met this person, and just thinking about your life in that kind of scope, it was very refreshing to not kind of be presented with a relationship that was either at the very beginning or at the very end. It almost feels like they're at this sort of middle ground that's awkward. It's, you know, it's reminiscing on the past. And it's very scared of the future in some instances. And I liked being in this almost, uh, if you will, like relationship purgatory of it could really go either way. Um, and I found that, you know, at the core of this is of course, Bray Grant and Jeremy Gardner's performances, which I find to be, they don't get enough credit for this movie in terms of them being the focal points of it and them carrying it in a way that comes across as very genuine. Um, I don't know for, Me sometimes in these romantic movies or romantic uh, romances that are explored um, it kind of just feels like lots of mini cliches make up the entirety of it and it's like well there's this one event that defines them or there's this one action but this really just feels like watching home movies of two people in their relationship over 10 years and it's not focusing on moments that are as, you know, milestone noteworthy or grandiose for the most part. A lot of the little moments, you know, of the flashbacks we get periodically are just, you know, fond memories that overall, you know, are relatively insignificant to, you know, the overall plot of the film, right? It's initially it's like, oh, he brings her to this old crappy house that he wants to fix up, right? And oh, there's unlimited cases of this really bad wine, but through them, you know, being together, being in this house, you know, the wine has a uh, significance to their relationship. But then it cuts from that to a scene where it's just them like reading on a hammock. And, you know, there's lots of these little moments that overall are not like giving us this look into their relationship really, other than two people that were happy in a time before now. Um, And I found that to be Refreshing. It didn't have to be all melodrama or remembering a massive fight where people threw things or said things that they wish immediately they could take back. It felt like lots of mini genuine snapshots of their time together. And sometimes it's just them like smiling at one another or telling a bad joke, which I find to be much more, I guess, relatable to you know somebody that's had relationships and thinking about them. It's like oh, it's like the little moments that really stick with you uh, in a way that. Came across as not being contrived in this movie, I would say. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that can't be, cannot be overstated. The, um, this is kind of a unique, like you said, it's a unique um, point in a relationship to make a film about, especially a horror film, because I feel like most of the, like most of the relationships you see in a horror film, it's either someone teenage or college age, and you're only seeing the relationship because someone's about to kill somebody right? That's the only reason the relationship even exists, right? It's a vehicle for violence. Um, or even if it's not, even if it's a comedy or something like art or whatever it is, you're still, you're seeing something either because you want, because it's titillating, frankly, right? Because you want to see like young hot people and not middle-aged people. Um, or, you know, if it's older people, then the relationship is just irrelevant, right? Or the relationship is really bad. And that's a vehicle for the violence or a vehicle for stress or a, a point of contention. And that's not even just horror movies. That's lots of movies. I mean, like revolutionary road is about like a marriage falling apart. And like, there's lots of great movies that that are at the end of relationships. And there's lots of great movies like horror movies. Like you mentioned, I think we mentioned spring, right. Phenomenal movie. Um, Phenomenal romantic movie, but that's a movie about the, a new relationship, right? Like a new couple exploring their relationship. Um, And yeah, there aren't too many films like this that are, solidly you know some people who have known each other for a decade and really know each other and kind of just taking a look at where they where they sit with their relationship i i it's a unique spot to make a film about and and i think it's especially hard to make it in a smart way like you said um with some with some gravitas um but but with the with the the foresight and the intelligence To pick and choose those smaller moments. Because, I mean, I've been with my wife over 20 years. And, I mean, I'm being real. Those are the moments that you remember. You do remember silly little things. That's what you remember in a relationship. And this movie, I mean, it kind of reminded me of 500 Days of Summer. Right? Um, Like, with a horror element thrown (laughs) in. And like that, you also kind of don't know, as the movie's going on, are you seeing reality or are you just seeing hank's memories of like how he wants to remember their relationship um and i'm not even sure they really fully answer that question in the end and that's okay um but i i liked that element of it right when you're seeing flashbacks and and things um and even you know there's scenes of him talking to himself or scenes where they're he's talking to his buddies and and that's just true of memory in general right like when you look back on your own relationships whether they ended up great or whether they ended up poorly, like you try to remember yourself, like looking back, okay, what did I do wrong? Or how did this go wrong? Or how did this go right? And sometimes it's really hard to remember that accurately. Um, And that's, that's just being human.
0: Well, that's a facet of the film that I really appreciate on my rewatch for this was you know the per- not really having a full grasp on the perception of time and how much time has passed since that note was there, right? I think later in the movie when Abby returns, he says that she was gone for a month. I think was that it? It was something along that time period, but I, I remember I think that it
1: was like two or three months. It was a while,
0: two or three months. Okay, so the way in which though that he you know, seeing his level of distraught and just like how his life kind of begins to unravel and fall apart, you it to me, it feels like it's been a year or something. And that was really interesting because then it made me think more about the perception of everything that we've been shown and what we're seeing. And, you know, how reliable is this person as a narrator if the way that they're reacting at times, you think that it's a year, but really at the end of the day, it's been, you know, uh, a, a month or two or something along those lines, which... I think really, again, you know, last time we talked about uh, Fingers with uh, Jeremy Gardner's performance and whatnot, like, he's able to hit these peaks and valleys that really, you know, goes in some very drastic places, but then, you know, just when you start to see him really unraveling uh, as, you know, in this movie, when he starts shooting at cars, um, you know, you get to be brought back down to reality almost, and I find that this movie does a great job of that, of, you know, capturing in a way you know what it feels like to be heartbroken or the fact of you know a relationship is like kind of rocky you don't know which way it can go and how that really does you know inform your perception of events or just you know days you know days going on and seeing how things are kind of playing out in your life and it all feels like the walls are closing in at times which i found this movie to you know capture in a way that for a movie that you know has a monster in it um it was again very genuine and it didn't feel overly contrived. Um I find that periodically in these types of films, you know, we have to get an abundance of scenes of, you know, just being, you know, heavily shit-faced which, you know, he does his fair share of drinking in the movie, but it's the type of thing that it doesn't kind of rest on these romance clichés for large chunks of the movie it's a short I don't even think it's 90 minutes and it does a great job of just establishing these two people this small town that they live in which kind of they do go to great pains to make seem that it's almost bigger than it is uh, in a way because of some of the characters that we meet and Mm -hmm. the personalities uh, within them but I just find that you know after midnight feels like a very frank look at love and again in a period of two people's lives that so seldomly gets the spotlight that this one does
1: yeah, it's um, you know, if I I, I kept track because I watched it a couple times as well, and you only he you only get happy memories. He's only like all the flashbacks, all the memories you're seeing, they're all happy. There's no there's no fighting, there's no tension or anything. And on the one hand, you could call that okay, well maybe he's an unreliable narrator, maybe that's not really what's going on. But on the other hand, there's a real I feel like realness to that that you know, when you are going like you're, if you're in his situation and you're just distraught and, and, and you, you would look back on just the happy times. And that's what, and especially if like something's attacking you, like, and you're stressed out and you're drinking all the time or whatever. Um, a lot of people, especially when they drink, that is what they do. Like, he's just going to reminisce and, and remember all the good times. Um, and that's why, like, I like that the movie really takes its time in, in, figuring out kind of where he is in this process, because for the first like 20, 30 minutes of the film, it could easily be that she left five years ago. Right. And he's just still wallowing. So you don't really know exactly what's going on or where he's at in this. uh, I mean, that's not really a grieving process, but like where he's at in like evaluating his situation. Processing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like processing it. Um, And then when you find out, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been weeks, but not years. Like, and, and she comes back, like, she could be dead and for the first half of the movie. Like, you really don't know what's, like, what's going on or what, what's going on with him. Um, and then, and but I also feel like there's, I, I really like that it's not just the two of them. I like that the other characters really ground the film. Like, the first scene where he does go shooting at the cars or whatever, and then he, the cop pulls up, I, I was completely expecting uh you know like a normal cop interaction in a horror film where like either the cop is like rolling their eyes or or they go over the over the top and do something to him or whatever but then it's like oh it's your brother-in-law or whatever <laughs> like it's
0: <Yeah>. of course <laughs> or should be brother in law right of course
1: like everybody in this town knows each other of course they know each other like that would just make that just makes sense and, it, and again it, it really pulls the film grounds it um Grounds it down in a way that makes it very relatable. Like, I just felt like every, all of these characters seemed super, super real and relatable, and I could identify people I know like all of them. It really helps you um, get engrossed with and, and care about these characters, in a, like, in you, like you said, in a relatively short film.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I find that it's a great point that you make, right? About the fact that all the memories that we see are just happy memories, which I remember the first time I watched this. I was just thinking, I was dreading the last, you know, five minutes of the movie where, you know, then we get a flashback of him being drunk and he hits her or something like that. And all of a sudden this person that, you know, I've been rooting for to, you know, get back with his girl and finally, you know, <laughs> grow up essentially and make that leap that, you know, you would uh, you would assume that somebody that's been with somebody for 10 years is going to make, right? And everybody in his life is basically saying like, dude, how have you not done this yet? Or these types of like big life decisions, Um, And then to, you know, go down the realm that it does, that I think in and of itself speaks to a different kind of horror, right? We've talked about, of course, there is a monster and we'll get to that. But the real focal point for me and the scariest part of this movie was just the anticipation of being shown the other side of the coin. And, you know, granted, we don't necessarily are ever shown a moment like that or we're not shown an interaction that was not as positive. But again, it comes back to the performances and you have that moment where... Uh, Bray Grant and Jeremy are sitting outside waiting for the monster to come back, right? And they have this very frank, you know, of course, it's the, the it's that shitty wine-fueled conversation of, you know, that she's being terrified of, like, her next 10 years being in the same exact place that she's at, um, which, again, you know, as somebody that uh, has not had a 10-year relationship, but that is a conversation that, you know, you would expect from somebody after a good chunk of time. It's like, well... You know, every couple of years, you start have to reevaluating and thinking like, okay, is our are we going to make certain changes to this situation? If not, you know, if one person wants one thing, is someone going to compromise or is someone going to break out of maybe their more immature side, if you will? Um, and that again, like, just felt like a very frank conversation that. Uh, feels very grounded and feels very realistic and doesn't have to do with people, you know, a lot of over the top screaming and shouting and throwing things and break very dramatized, if you will, um, from, you know, more, uh, maybe more over the top romance films, if you will. But yeah, I think even like the little interactions with characters, whether it's the cop who that was a great cameo by Justin Benson, who um, is behind some other indie films that I would definitely recommend if you haven't seen them with his partner, I believe it's Aaron Moorhead, who did Spring, of course. Um, But like small town characters when they go to that bar, right? And he has that buddy that is like basically is a representation of what Abby doesn't want to end up with, right? Which is a guy that drinks the bar mat spill for a cocktail, uh, which is revolting in and of itself. But, you know, I find that even though you have that character who's supposedly the best friend that's doing things like that and is very much sort of like a caricature of – Like the the local yokel, if you will. Um, At the end of the day, though, like feels like someone that genuinely cares about uh, Jeremy, right? Or Hank, right? Yeah. Feels very much like, you know, might not always have the right words to comfort him. But, you know, when Jeremy tells him that there's a monster out there, he's out there helping him try to hunt it, even if he doesn't have a rifle, but an axe, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Wade, played by Henry Zebrowski. I did not know until I thought that's that's uh he's a host of the last podcast on the left the horror podcast oh you kidding no. oh wow I didn't, yes. I didn't even realize that <laughs> that's him he's he has, he has some small parts in big comedies he's also on the Netflix show the characters that uh
0: oh okay I think I've seen him in that but I did yeah. not
1: connect him to the podcast um so that's a that's a fun connection um yeah of course he's he's hilarious and his lines his lines are great um going back to their performances like you mentioned them on the porch and and having that conversation uh what amazing performances i mean her her monologue there is so long um but just so honest and the writing is just fantastic and and it's hard man delivering a long performance like that on you know one camera shot all these um range of emotions it's it's really impressive i know that um both of them got nominated by fangoria for best actor and best supporting actor um for the roles here and totally totally deserved um and and also what you mentioned about you know waiting for the like the predictable ending of oh actually it turns out one of them's an asshole and you know that's that's so that's the easy way right it's so easy to write a relationship that's that's where somebody's abusive or somebody's just a big jerk, right? That's that's easier to act. It's easier to write. It's easier and simpler to, um, but it's, but it's a cop out, right? And this movie it never goes there. You can see when she come when she does come back, you know she just she washes the dishes, um, not because he's abusive, but because like she cares about him and she's worried about him and like it's so obvious that these people love each other. But it's also so obvious that there are real differences here in their directions, and there's some concerns that she has, and they're very, they're very normal concerns for a woman in her mid-thirties who's been dating a guy for for a decade. It's completely understandable.
0: Well, even the scene when he goes to the bar and it's just him and that bartender, and they're both clearly drinking way too much, right? In a maybe a lesser portrayal of a uh, romance film, right? What does he do? He has two or three more glasses of whiskey and then he tries to make a move or he goes home with her or something, right? And it's capturing something that, you know, again, feels very genuine in that. It's not that he's just hoping, well, you know, it doesn't play out that way. I don't know what he's thinking, but it's the type of thing where it's like, It's more about when someone is hurting, just wanting to be around people that comfort you. And it doesn't always have to go down this very kind of cliched, prescribed way that so many types of rom-coms or just romantic films in general go down. Um, And I find that that interaction is very genuine to the degree that when she leaves, right, yeah, he wants to keep drinking. But it's not that he just pours himself a double or pours himself a full glass of whiskey. It's he pours himself a glass, he pours her a glass after she's left, and then like clinks the glasses, right? It's the idea that, oh, I wanted this to continue so that way I could be around someone else and not be in that house (laughs) and face that monster uh, by myself. And I think, again, like the way in which the movie doesn't allow the monster or the creature to become the real true focal point – of it and you know rather be this metaphor for how he's feeling um i like that a lot of time is not spent with the monster and yet each of those scenes is done so and orchestrated in a way that is very memorable right i love at the very beginning when he hears it for the first time and he shoots through the door and then you get this beam of moonlight that shoots through and it kind of just lingers there for a minute and then of course the first time he sees the monster when he runs out because it's grabbed his cat or it's grabbed abby's cat um, and he doesn't see it and he's running through the darkness and I think he sees it on like the second or third shotgun blast and it's only because it's been illuminated in the you know the the muzzle flash of the gun and it's only for a fleeting second but the creature design is of such that it's intriguing and it's scary but they don't show us too much of it but then again it's undercut well it's undercut I suppose but It's done, you know, for the overall, you know, continuing this thread of him dealing with the emotional turmoil um, of returning to focusing on the relationship and whatnot, which I really appreciate. Because, you know, then later in the film, when they cast doubt about whether there is a monster or not, whether or not, you know, he jokes at one point when he's talking to Abby, he goes, I'm not convinced that you're not a shapeshifter. And he says it and he smiles. But, you know, in the audience's mind, it's like, well. Thinking about when those two things coincide with one another, could it go in that direction? But again, it allows these two people's emotions to be the true star and doesn't necessarily overly concern the plot with the monster itself, even if it is the kind of thing that's leading us to the inevitable conclusion of uh, these two people re- reconciling.
1: Yeah, the, the monster, that scene you mentioned where you see the monster finally in a flash of light, I, t- I looked this time, it's 43 minutes into the film. Forty-three minutes, more than halfway, well over halfway through the film before you see anything like that. And I'm curious um, because I, I just kind of stumbled on this on Shutter and watched it. Um, I mean, it's a while ago, but I did. You you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you uh, you followed some of the like media or some of the uh, film circuit discussions about this. And I'm curious, what do you know, if anything, about like how this was marketed? Because to me this is a really weird film to market. It's kind of genre defying. And I mean, I personally, like to me, I would not have put the monster on the poster. Like, yeah, I, it seemed like a weird choice to me. And if, I don't know, as an audience, I think people were probably going into this expecting something very different than what it is. And even I'm curious, I know that the title was changed because originally the title was called something else. And I don't know what went into changing, like deciding to change the name of the film to like maybe focus, you know, I think it's more on like a monster movie or something, but what do you know, if anything about that?
0: Yeah. So I guess the way i never saw a trailer for the movie, I just remember the festival chatter about it when it was premiered and the way, and the kind of marketing selling point was that it's a love story meets a creature feature. And, you know, I described it as a creature feature, but it really, it's not a creature feature. Um, and, I would imagine it's one of those things where it's like, what's more marketable, a creature feature that has a romance story tied to it or, you know, just a romantic story that barely has a monster in it. And when you look at some, you know, we last time uh, when I had you on chatting about Fingers, uh, we chatted about some of the uh, reviews that you see on Shutter, right? And I think even on like Google rating or whatever that system is, when you Google a movie title, this movie has a lot of one star ratings. Because of the fact that, you know, it does not live up to the marketing, which in this case, I find to be perfect because it goes again. It subverted my expectations. It's very much not concerned with being a monster movie for a majority of its time. And I found that to be refreshing. Um, I would also imagine that the title change, you know, after midnight thinking about genre movies and creature features and that being like midnight madness type of things, it kind of does go with the marketing perception of this movie. Um, But it is the thing where it's like, horror is a great vessel for stories that people don't often prescribe with being the focus of horror. Right. Um, And then people that maybe like us that prefer either weirder things, or they're not just in horror for, you know, the, the big creature moment or the gory moment, which, you know, not to say that, though I don't enjoy plenty of movies that that's the focus, but you know, once in a while, it's nice to get a film that's operating within the genre that's not primarily concerned with scaring you, because I always find that to be you know an under simple oversimplification of the genre. Uh, horror is, of course capable of much more than just scaring you or showing you something disturbing right you can explore real human emotion real characters um, that are dealing with problems that everybody deals with right i think we've of course seen a uptick and you know horror has always been political but we've seen even more horror films that are going to be political that i would venture not a lot of peep i don't want to say not a lot i don't want to generalize but People might not be on board with some of those topics in film if it was not compartmentalized in a horror film right and so it's always refreshing for me to get a film such as this that maybe presents itself as one thing but then tackles subject matter or you know just human experiences that are actually a lot more grounded than you know what that marketing might uh indicate it being about
1: so what do you think let me ask you a question what do you think like what is the point of the monster do you think it has a point do you think the monster is just a random monster um that happens to attack him for no reason do you think it's something that he created or like their relationship created i i don't think there's an answer to this i'm just curious for your thoughts about kind of how like how does the monster element really fit into this movie if and, and it is not just an afterthought right it's not just a way to like oh I want to get this distributed on Shutter, so I'll throw a monster in the end. But really, I'm going to make a romance movie,
0: right? Well, you know, I think the monster is a great vessel for being, you know, a physical manifestation for him to grapple with something that he probably feels internally, right? There is a, uh, I suppose, a war going on inside of him, right? That is him battling his emotions, have being able to have something that is outside of his own, you know, consciousness that he can actually like confront doubles with, you know, the emotional turmoil that he's in with his relationship that is so rocky. Um, But at the same time, I find that, you know, it gives him some kind of purpose or something that he has to overcome, which then of course deals with his uh what I perceived as being, you know, a general immaturity, right? He's supposed to be mid-30s. He's been with this woman now for 10 years and won't, you know, take their relationship to its what you would assume would be the inevitable conclusion of a 10-year relationship or the next step. Um, and it kind of just he has to get over this hump to not only become the person that she wouldn't want him to become, but you know, deep down clearly he wants to become as well and once he's able to quite literally overcome this beast uh he will be then be able to you know obtain that uh that next step in his life that maybe was a few years later than it should have been
1: yeah I think I agree I mean I I, I kind of go back and forth honestly with this movie I'm like what if the monster just wasn't there at all like and this was just a just a straight drama um but i it does feel like I mean first of all it leads to a natural kind of conclusion, right? Like there is a climax. um, And sometimes the climax in a movie like this is like a big argument or something. Um, But for me, like, and and really the climax of the film, isn't him killing the monster. It's the climax of the film is his speech right before he kills the monster. Right. That's, that's the climax of the movie. And that's him. That's when you, like you as the audience member, you get the revelation, like, Oh, I, I, this, I know how this is going to end now. And it's not exactly how I might've predicted it because again, so many times in this movie it's like, Hey, the filmmaker just wants you to be sad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this movie has a happy right. ending, right? Which especially for the, for the hour you've been watching it, you're not necessarily expecting that, right? A lot of these movies don't have happy endings. And to me, at least as an audience member at that dinner scene at the end, um, I just it made me feel so good like I just loved it. I loved the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. And and it's so like it it takes its time and they have the karaoke scene which seems like it goes on really long like he plays he sings like the whole song. Yep. <laughs> but it really works because it's just long enough that I completely forgot this was a monster movie. It really works like the, the timing is really done well so that you as an audience member you are like emotionally invested for just the perfect amount of time to have forgotten what you are actually watching. (laughs) And then you get a really amazing jump scare. And I don't call jump scares amazing very often. It's a great jump scare.
0: Well, it's well-earned. And I think it's exactly for the reason that you mentioned, right? Because If it doesn't have that speech from him and it being this really, you know, kind of gut-wrenching speech, right? This fact that he's surrounded by loved ones and he says what he probably should have said long ago, right? How he feels, how he feels about not only their relationship, but himself and where he's at in his life. If that was not so impactful, then that jump scare that is quite frankly, like, kind of hilarious after that buildup of this big moment to then having the inevitable conclusion, like, if the movie had ended just with that of him singing, it didn't have the speech. It went right to him doing karaoke and then he gets mauled. It's kind of like a shrug at the end of the day, right? Because it almost undercuts all of the emotional legwork that the film has done throughout its runtime. Um, But yeah, I mean that ending is phenomenal too. And you know, that line that he has when he gets down on one knee after killing the monster and hands are the bottle of that wine that they've been drinking. And he says, do you want to drink another case of this shit with me? Like, I love that moment because it comes back to what makes their relationship feel so organic. And that is the fact that it's a small detail about their relationship that probably nobody else really knows. And it ends up being something small that ends up being such a huge part of their life at the end when he proposes to her like that. And, you know, of course, the ring is in the bottle of the bottom of the bottle. But I think that it's a really smart balancing again of like it goes where you're expecting it to go almost, but it is done so in a way that does not undercut you know, the development of those characters and showing real growth, right? I think that if you don't have that speech, it kind of just feels like, yeah, I guess we'll just get married because that's what everybody's indicating we should do. Whereas again, you get this really scene-chewing performance from Jeremy Gardner and it, like, legitimately like heartbreaking in a moment to see him that vulnerable because he's somebody that Is not super vulnerable throughout the entire movie, obviously, for as drunk as he gets, you know, you don't get a lot of these kind of weepy monologues that might feel rather cliched or prescribed to the type of romance film. But, you know, you get to see somebody that is very vulnerable and, again, surrounded by his best friends, people that love him in these things and having that moment that, like you've been saying... Could be found in any kind of drama movie. It doesn't have to be a horror movie. It feels just very, uh, very earned and very earnest.
1: Yeah, I, I also just I really like the development of his character. I mean, you see more of him than her, but you you do see this evolution, and that's one of the things that the flashbacks and everything help with, right? Like, and I, one of the things I noticed, especially on a rewatch, was there's this this element, and I I can only assume it's intentional. Maybe not. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. me. Of him as a hunter. Of the Hank character, because there's this, um, you know, there's different lines about him hunting. He clearly hunts. He goes out with his friends. And then they go out and, like, hunt the monster, even though they don't really find anything. Um, And then there's this, uh, one of the scenes in the, um, well, actually, that's the opening scene of the movie, right? The opening scene of the movie is her, you see her walking in the grass towards the house, right? And it looks like something's hunting her, and then he jumps out um and then there's this other line later in the film where he says i tried to lock you up um but anyway for me that was just something i noticed on a rewatch was i think one way to look at this is his evolu- his evolution of of looking at uh and s- stop looking at his significant other as you know a, a plaything, a victim a a, uh, a prey and I, this is coming out wrong I don't mean I don't mean he's abusive at all but just I mean like he's changing his mentality like he's growing up this is a film about him maturing and like oh like yeah we had great times um you know in the lobby of this uh, this big house and lots of fun memories and mixtapes and everything but also that was 10 years ago and like it's time to grow up um and I, I think you it, it's a good evolution of him that you see through kind of through the editing and i thought that in some sense you know like there's a symbolism of him killing the monster right like that he's done now that phase of his life is over and he's ready to move on um and focus on her
0: well also you know it it's he's able to mature in that way before he kills the monster which i think is also really important right it's the it's fact him. that oh the monster is obviously not what is holding him back he's holding himself back but then of course you get the you get that hilarious jump scare and then of course his catharsis of stabbing the shit out of it far more than he needed to but I mean uh, Abby even has that line right at one point when they're having that talk on the foray waiting for the monster to co- show up which never does you know she says I believe something along the lines of like oh I was, I, I, figured that you had gotten tired of the thrill of the hunt or something yeah, Essentially, right? Yeah. it was that, that idea of like oh she, he was so concerned with you know chasing after her and I think she even says something along the lines of like you used to look at me like you couldn't believe I was real which is like Man, that's like a, a tearjerker of a line when she, she says that's that. Harsh. And then you see how upset he is after she says that because he's like, oh, shit. Like she's talking about the old me like five years ago, six, seven years ago or something like that. And again, it comes across as a brief moment of dialogue that doesn't have to have a massive reaction to it. Right. Because she keeps on with that monologue, which, you know, Bray Grant is not in much of this movie. But man, she delivers a powerhouse. Oh, yeah performance because every time that she is talking it is memorable and furthermore it's giving us more insight into this person that you know obviously we've mentioned it does not have this big reveal like oh is actually an abusive piece of shit at the end of the movie but i would say you know is unreliable because they're only showing us the good as we've said you know the good might have actually happened the way it happened and maybe there's none of this uh kind of like skeleton in the closet that you've been fearing the whole movie but They are unreliable if they're only focusing on the good because you know that after 10 years, nobody's having a relationship for that long that doesn't have, you know, fights or arguments or these things that don't have to be these massive, you know, emotional brawls or anything like that. But, you know, still they take their toll after a period of time and, you know, to view one's history with someone of 10 years and not to think of or recall any negative thing like that's living in a delusion of sorts.
1: Yeah, man, Breya Grant is just just a rock star in this. Well, Jeremy too, but they're just. I wasn't really. I don't really know Breya. I mean, I, I saw that she um, is an actress and co-producer on East Siders, and she she's doing more like directing and producing than acting. It looks like. Um,
0: you know, it was funny that you mentioned uh, when you brought up fingers uh, to me because. Following that conversation with this, it made me think of Bray Grant's film, 12 Hour Shift, which is about uh, people that work at a hospital that get involved in uh, black market organs and things like that. So that might be something that's up your alley because that's a very you know pitch black, dark comedy, uh, horror comedy that is definitely along the lines of uh,
1: Fingers. Nice. I'll, I'll add it to my homework. I also still have uh, homework to do for The the Battery, which is was Jeremy Gardner's kind of first big thing um which is kind of a uh contemplative zombie film apparently but i i haven't seen it but that was also jeremy co-directed that with christian stella same as same as this movie i know they they've worked together on several things
0: yeah it seems to be that they're able to compartmentalize i suppose these very broad sort of horror genre uh, buzzwords, if you will, right? Creature feature romance, uh, zombie movie, but they're able to retain the human quality that ultimately I find makes films the most relatable that they can be, right? I think that when you get films that are primarily concerned with those buzzwords and those kind of categories that you can place them in over time, you know, obviously you get more examples of people that are like, oh, let's focus on the more marketing in your face element of these and then the human element is lost and then you know they fall to the wayside as uh as many films do that think oh I'll just make a zombie movie and we've seen how that goes the majority of the time
1: yeah no it's just it's just some damn fine filmmaking it really is let's talk a little bit about the like the technical aspects because I was just really impressed by the the production quality on this um the framing of scenes and the lighting. There's some really cool, to me, I noticed there's like a real theme of yellow and blue. that kind of permeates the whole movie. And um, I don't know. I don't know what you thought. I just, I was really, really impressed by the, te- the technical aspects of the film.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the like bluish and yellowish hues that are primarily focused and especially, you know, like I've mentioned, there's a couple of shots where, you know, you get that beam of moonlight that pierces through the door after he blew a hole in it. Which, you know, I think that played a big part in my perception of like the loss of time almost and kind of losing the thread on how long has this been going on for again? Because it kind of does create this almost dreamlike quality to the entire thing, which, again, when you're talking about people that are dealing with heartbreak, you know, you your perception of time or just events in general can become scattered, right? Because it is such an overwhelming uh, thing to grapple with at somebody's core, right? And I think that by presenting the world in that way, without going down a more literal maybe uh, perception of like a dreamlike world, right? You don't have to have a lot of these moments of somebody being startled awake by a nightmare or something like that. It's more so just creating an atmosphere that, you know, you lose track of, again, like the thread of time, I think, in a way that's very natural, ends up making for something that can be more relatable, rather than like these moments where he wakes up and the monster is standing over him and growling in his right. face or something like that over and over, um, which, you know, sure, I've got another look at the monster. But at the end of the day, like overall, as you've said, I think the movie does a lot to support the human element of it rather than the monster element, which Again, then would have detracted from the real purpose of the film that uh, is so stellar.
1: Totally. I mean, I th- this this movie would have been terrible if they if they had added twelve minutes of monster footage. This movie would have been terrible, <laughs> Nobody, and 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 forgettable, like totally forgettable. Because um, I mean, the monster is okay, the d- monster design or whatever, but I don't really want to see it more than twice. It's fine the way it is because that that just detracts from the focus of these uh, these great great performances. Um, a quick little Easter egg I wanted to point out before I forget is there's that one scene where he is watching TV on uh, and, and the, sh- the movie that's playing on the TV. That is Juan Ortiz's film. Jennifer help us.
0: It, oh, wow. His little
1: <laughs> his little indie film that he made before fingers or any, anything else. Um, Cause I know they go way back. They're friends. Juan mm-hmm. Ortiz and Jeremy yeah. Gardner are our, our buddies. Um, but that was just, that was just a funny egg.
0: That's terrific. I mean, you know, that speaks to, again, the idea that these are people making indie films that obviously have a story in mind they want to tell. They know how to tell it. They're going to use the genre of horror as the vessel for that, but they don't get lost in the scale or the scope of what they're trying to do, which I find to be a very rare quality with indie films in general, right? A majority of indie movies that I watch of this kind of scale – or size rather, it's the thing where it's like, okay, they have this idea, that's great, but typically those productions can be indicative of people that, you know, they essentially, uh, they try to make something that's far bigger than they can actually successfully develop. And in a movie like this, which I would venture has less than 60 seconds of the monster in it, like that's the perfect amount for the monster being it, because again, Not only, you know, from a narrative standpoint, does it make sense to have as little of the monster as possible, but there's no way that they could have had that monster in more of the movie than they did because of the budget constrictions. And the way in which they're able to use that limited amount of resources, limited amount of on-screen time for the monster, and it be the most compelling moments that you could have had the monster be incorporated into it, that's telling of people that understand not only good storytelling, but how to, you know, harness the genre to its strengths. Because a story like this could only happen in the horror genre, and yet they didn't feel the need to, you know, inundate us with the monster showing up more and more in these things. I think, again, like there's probably 60 seconds or less of the monster, but each moment is memorable. It further, you know, signifies the importance of the monster being there, what it represents, and... It doesn't have to, you know, beat us over the head with the fact that yeah, there's a monster there because then it detracts from the true purpose.
1: Exactly, it, it's it's a vehicle, and the and you know Jeremy Gardner knew what he was doing, and that's the monster is a vehicle to tell this particular story he wants to tell, and I think it's balanced really well. Um, one of my favorite lines in the film is right uh, near the beginning, where um, Jeremy offers a her it's her it's her birthday right because the film the film begins and ends with a birthday right it's like the first the first scene is their like first birthday in the house and then it ends with ten years later her birthday in the house. But I forget what, I don't remember what he gives her as a gift, but he says you can't you can't unwrap making a memory. And that just really that line just sets the tone for the whole film because that's what it's about. It's it's all about um make you know trying to look at the look at look at the past he's looking at the past right he's he's the one who's focused on the memories of her and she's the one you never see her memories because that's not what she's focused on right she's focused on the future and the whole film is a film about him coming out of the past and taking ready you know being ready to take the next step with her looking forward together instead of looking backward and that just is a great what a great story! I just, I don't, I don't often watch romances. Um, my wife would love me to watch more period romance movies with her, um, and I'm gonna get her to see this movie because I think uh, it's one of those genre bending things that even non horror um, fans would just just love. It's just a great film.
0: Well, I think that you nailed it. You know, it is a film that some would maybe discount because of, you know, again, we've talked about kind of the perception of what this movie, this is a monster movie that has a love story in it, when in reality it's the reverse. And I think that, you know, while it might be difficult to sell some people on this as being a romance because it's a horror movie, at the end of the day though, you know, as soon as they start watching this movie, you know, you get five minutes into the movie and it doesn't carry itself like a horror movie. And all of a sudden it's very genuine, it's very character focused. And it's the type of thing that it's like, Yeah, again, horror can be a vessel for lots of different types of things. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there is still this stigma surrounding horror about, you know, what horror is capable of. There is a ceiling to horror, and then you get films like this that continue to, you know, prove that there is no ceiling, really. The ceiling can be uh, redefined at numerous times and the types of stories and the types of performances that you can get within the genre. Um, And, you know, it it begins and ends with those performances, I think at the end of the day, right? Because those are two stellar performances that, um, I don't know. It's the type of thing that it comes across as being just very honest and not contrived in a way that, you know, (laughs) I've, uh, more romance films had those qualities to them. Uh, maybe I would watch more of them, but I find that some of the ones that I've watched do not for the majority of them. And, uh, so I will not, but (laughs) it's the type of thing that, uh, I'm just appreciative of the variety of stories that can be told and the fact that, you know, you don't have to have a big budget if you want to make a monster movie because the monster does not, of course, have to be the focal point. It's funny, I just watched, and this is a completely uh, different type of movie, but I just rewatched Cloverfield yeah. for the first time since it was released. And watching that as an adult, like when I was a kid and saw that, I think there's two minutes of the monster in the movie, and that was a big, red flag for me i was like this is bullshit they you know they got too carried away with the premise i needed more of the monster and in watching it as an adult um it's the type of thing that i appreciate how little the monster is in it because the other elements of that movie i find to be so strong and that's character driven it's the perception of you know living in a post 9-11 world during a chaos and whatnot and a catastrophe and whether or not there's a monster there It's portrayal of, you know, human experience and human emotions and human reactions to things I found to be genuine as an adult. And, you know, if I had showed uh, teenage Jay after midnight, I probably would have been like, this is bullshit. There's not enough of the monster, but. As an adult with maybe a little more, not to give myself too much credit, a little more perspective on life. Uh, this was a movie that definitely resonated with me in a big way. And I was so happy to have an excuse to chat about it with you.
1: Yeah, likewise. And listen, this is a great this is a great theme. And there's so much romance to be found in horror, especially if you look on. It. I mean, ultimately The Fly is a romance movie. That's what it is.
0: Right. That was a, the first, uh, horror film that I had brought to me under the guise of being a romance film. And it was the thing where I was just like, Oh, as an adult that, you know, had had a relationship or two at that point, uh, was like, Oh, that element of it sings so much more to me. Um, and I think that that's a quality of revisiting film that the, again, the older I get, I'm just more appreciative of. And, you know, I have friends that are like, well, why do you rewatch so many of the movies that you've seen before? Like, why wouldn't you watch something new? And it's like, there is a great value in revisiting uh, film over and over, especially, you know, removed from it over the period of several years. Uh, you can, of course, relate to elements of it more or whether it be, you know, characters or just certain themes that are tackled in. So, yeah, After midnight's definitely one that, you know, I think the further we get from its release and, you know, more people get past the fact that, like, it's not primarily focused with being creature feature um, I think that it's one that hopefully will find a bigger audience because it's definitely uh, well deserving of it. For sure. For sure. But thanks again, man. This was a pleasure as always. Likewise. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.